What's so special about Christmas? I want you to think about it. Many of us would say the shopping malls, the busyness of the shopping malls, the Christmas meals, the favorite desserts, cookies, fruitcake. I don't know how anybody eats fruitcake, but anyway, fruitcake. The time of decorating, the time together with family and friends. Others would say, oh, it's the traditions that we have in our families. We know when we get together, it's going to be great and all those things. And some would say, well, it's the gift giving. Others would say the gift receiving. Some of us during this time of year, we like what they put on television. Santa Claus is coming to town. How the Grinch stole Christmas. Frosty the Snowman. Of course, White Christmas for those of us who are a little older. It's a wonderful life. And then there's our Christmas favorite songs. Grandma got run over by the reindeer. <laughs> Jingle bells. I found this one this week. Leroy the Redneck Reindeer. There's actually a song. Silent night, joy to the world, and oh, holy night. But the most special thing about Christmas is what we've been singing about this morning and is also found in Luke chapter 1. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Today we continue the series, as Jonathan reminded us, the thrill of hope. And today we're looking at the whole idea of the hope for all. As you turn, the definition of biblical hope, as we said a couple of weeks ago, is not wishful thinking, but assured, confident, eagerly anticipated expectation. A firm assurance supported by the promises of God's word regarding things that are unseen, unclear, or possibly even unknown. And of course, this would include miracles. Last week, we saw how biblical hope always astonishes because of its close proximity to miracles. But what exactly is a miracle? I mean, we use this, this word around. We, we know we find miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many of you have experienced a miracle. Maybe it's an answer to prayer, whatever it may be. But what is really a miracle? Here's a definition on your outline. It is an act of God contrary to the laws of nature as we understand them. It is an event when God supersedes the natural laws he established and intervenes supernaturally. And of course, the Christmas story is filled with hope presented to us through miracles. Everywhere you touch this story, there's a miracle just around the corner. From the messengers to those who, who came and, and, and as Mary was there with the baby after having the baby and the shepherds came and how, how everything just kind of was bloomed in her heart as she saw the plan of God come together from the day the angel came to visit her and all the other things that surround it. But today what I want to talk to you about are four true miracles surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Look on your outline. Miracle number one, God came to earth. It is the most significant event in human history. Think about it. Many would say possibly, well, wouldn't the creation story be the, 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 the greatest miracle? I mean, and of course, that's a pretty big miracle, creating everything. But when you size up the need that you and I have and all man has, you will find that the greatest miracle truly is that God came to earth. Christmas is a celebration of an invasion when deity invaded earth as Jesus. Which leads us to the question, who is Jesus? 
What's so special about Jesus? Well, to completely understand the miracle of Christmas and God through Jesus coming to this earth, there's other scripture we need to take in account this morning. Some of us would say, okay, if we want to learn about Christmas, we turn to Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, maybe Matthew chapter 1. But sometimes you can go outside of that and find some clues about who Jesus is and just how great this miracle really is that God came to earth. And Colossians chapter 1 is one of those. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Now, I want you to think about this. The baby that we celebrate at Christmas, this is speaking about that baby. All things were created by him and for him. All these things. Some would say, well, how's that possible? Jesus just shows up in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. No, he predates Bethlehem. He goes back to the beginning. See, he's deity. He is God. And we don't understand all that. How can you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet say that one is equal to the other? Well, there are so many mysteries that surround that. Even Jesus said that. Jesus said this concerning himself. He said, I am the Father are one. So when Jesus came to earth, based on what he says, who came to earth? God came to earth. Wow. There's a caveat to this miracle. Not only did God, through Jesus, come to this earth, but his coming, the Bible says, was perfect. In Galatians chapter 4, we heard it quoted just a moment ago. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, now that means the, when the perfect time had come, that the date that God foreknew that said, this will be the time I'll send my son. It was all planned out as part of a plan. It goes all the way back to Genesis. And so it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. It was not only a perfect time, it was a perfect plan. This, this baby would be, of course, be born of a woman to identify with us and the very act of how we come to this world. Born under the law. When that, what many people would say, okay, I understand the perfect time, the perfect plan, but what do you mean under the law? It's literally the whole idea of his perfect existence. The Bible says he's born of the, under the law, which means if you look at it closely in scripture and bring the theology good, together, good theology, here's what you'll find, that he fulfilled the law perfectly, perfectly. So we have a perfect time, we have a perfect plan, and we have his perfect existence. Jesus came to earth, listen, and lived by the standards of God, a perfect life. None of us have even come close to what he achieved coming to this world through Bethlehem. But the miracles don't stop here. A second miracle of Christmas is miracle number two, God became a man. Now think about that. God becomes a man. So how did Jesus come to earth? Well, he didn't come some flashy way. I mean, think about it. If you were the one that were going to set it up to say, okay, I'm God. I want to present my son to the world. And how would you do it? It would probably be a pretty big production. We've been taught by Hollywood that anything worth doing is a big production, right? But that's not the way God chose to send his son. Again, here's the thinking. God was coming. The perfect plan of God was to come that we could identify with who came. And we can identify with Jesus. We can identify with the baby who came to this world. Because that's how we got our start. 
You see, it all started when a young mess- when a messenger from heaven visited a young girl. Luke chapter one, look at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She basically was saying, I think you have the wrong person. How do we know that? Because of what's said later. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Let me tell you what's so important about names in scripture. The name Jesus means salvation. It literally means the one who will bring about salvation. It is the thrill of hope for all that we're looking for right there in that child. He will be great, verse 32 says, and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, this is why she thought he thought he had the wrong person. How can this be since I do not know a man? I've never had a physical experience with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born, which will be the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. See, here's another miracle that surrounds the story. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So miracle number one is God came to earth. Miracle number two was that God came as a baby. He came as a human being. He he came as Jesus who was born of a virgin. There are over 600 predictions in the Old Testament concerning Jesus' coming, concerning what he would do. The virgin miracle was also predicted in the Old Testament. Look here on the screen, Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to give you something in which you can't miss it. There's a miracle that's going to be associated with what I'm about to tell you. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. Wow. He came to earth. God came as Jesus as a baby. Think about this miracle. Of all the ways he could have come, he came into this world as a baby. Why? To to perfectly identify with us. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Jesus, who be in the the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with, with God. That means when Jesus is at the full intention of who he is, he's equated with God. But something happened. But he himself made himself of no reputation. The, the verbiage there literally means he emptied himself. The things that are said of him, he, he laid those things aside. Why did he do that? That he could become the God-man. The God-man. It says, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So not only did he come as a babe, 
Not only did he come identifying us as a baby, but he grew to be a man. A man who was the God-man. In which it says he laid certain parts of his deity aside that he could fulfill the, 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 not only the requirement of, of the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, but also again that he can identify with us. Wow, what a powerful statement. This passage tells us that Jesus came into the world as a man. Jesus comes to us in a way that we could relate to him. The Bible says that he was like us. He was born like us. He grew like us physically, spiritually, mentally, socially. He was tempted like us. He, he had the same needs, the same types of problems, the same types of pressures, the same stressors. He experienced everything that we experience in this world. The reason he went through all this Again, is so he could relate to us. So, matter, so no matter what we're going through, listen, God understands because he's been there. Some of you would possibly say, you know something? This time of year is a time in which many people celebrate, but that's not the case for me. For me, it's the loneliest time I've, I've, I've ever experienced through the whole year. And we know that. We, we, there's studies that say that. There may be some of you in this room. But did you know that Jesus can identify with loneliness? In the garden, you remember before his crucifixion? He's in the garden. And if you look at the language carefully, he knew his father had never forsaken him. But, but he knew that was going to come. He knew there was going to be something that would happen on the next day that would, or the day after that, that would, that would separate he and his father. And it would be our sin. And at that moment, he cries out. He's feeling the epitome of loneliness. So if you're lonely during this time of year, he understands. He's been there. If you think no one cares, he's been there. There were times in which he suffered pain, loneliness, fatigue, disappointment, criticism. He was one of the most misunderstood human beings, God-man, anyone could ever imagine. He went through all, the, all of this because he wants, listen, this is the most important part of what I'm going to say today. He went through all of this to relate to us because, listen, he wants to have a relationship with you. A relationship with you. Think about that. Think about how extreme that is. The God, the creator God created us, put us in a perfect place, and there was perfection everywhere you look. But guess what? We failed that, didn't we? And that seed of failure followed us all the way to where we are today. And, and here we are. We are. We are unholy. The Bible says we are as filthy rags. We have nothing that we can bring to him to gain our salvation, to gain favor with God. And you know what God did? God said, I'll tell you what. Let's go to earth. Let's go in such a way that we can relate to everything that they're dealing with. Everything they're dealing with. And that's what Christmas is all about. The Bible says you were made to be loved by God. That God created you as an object of his love. Let me tell you what, what the side effect of that is. Here's what I think this means. It means that there's a void in your heart that can only be filled with God. That many of us, and I've been there too, we, we search all these things. We search high and low. This will complete me. This will make me who I think I need to be. This will fill the loneliness of my heart. This will, this will fill that void. And we try and we move from one thing to the other. The wisest man who ever lived, King Saul, tried the exact same thing. He was the richest man in the world. And he had everything at the world at, the world at that time was at his disposal. He came away saying, you know something? Nothing filled the void. And the same thing's true of you. 
He created you in such a way that there's a part of you, listen, that only he can feel. That only he can feel. And not only that, he, he, the miracle is he came to earth to identify with us. And so we, that we could see him. The Bible says, and, and he, he wrapped himself in flesh and we beheld his glory. There's the account of his living here. All the fill the void. The deepest recesses of your heart, listen, can only be filled with his love. He came to earth because he loves you. He came as a man because he wants a relationship with you. And thirdly, the third miracle, God came to ordinary people. You know, we live in a world that, that likes division. How many of you figured that out? We like to separate people. We like to separate people with politics. We like to separate people with financial incomes. We, uh, we like to separate people based on race. We, over and over again, there seems to be this desire to, to create division, even in families and all this. But you know what's interesting? God, when he came, when he, when he, when he wrapped himself in flesh and, and, and deposited himself into this world, you know what's so ironic about it? He came to the lowly. He didn't go to the palace I don't know about you, but if I were the son, if I were the father of God, the son, I, I would have, you know, want the best for my boy, put him in the best place, give him the best comforts in life. No, that wasn't his plan. That wasn't what it was all about. It was come to identify with us. Listen, I mean, think about it. He didn't come to a select few. He didn't come to the privileged. He didn't even come to the religious people. So who did Jesus come to? Luke chapter 2, turn over a page, verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in that manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Before who? The shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. You know what it literally means? They were terrified as what they were seeing. You know why? Because it was something outside this world. It's literally heaven was coming down. And, and it's nothing like they'd ever seen before. And it affected them. Do you think they ever got over that? I don't think they did. I think they remembered it until the day of their death. But think about it. According to the social status of that day, shepherds were considered by most to be nobodies. Uh, they were considered no different than the sheep themselves. They were considered the outcast of society. Yet God honors these nobodies with the greatest news ever given to man. I mean, can you imagine that? You're out there. You're doing the very thing you've done all your life. Your father was probably a shepherd. Your great-grandfather was a shepherd. But it came to you that one night, that generation, the fullness of time, and God showed where heaven came down and visited these men. Man, that would, wouldn't that just blow your mind? And that's what happened. The Bible goes on in John chapter 1. As I said before, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the, of the Father. But here's how He's described. He's full of grace and truth. That's even a greater message, that He brings grace and truth. The message paraphrases this verse and basically says this, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came to us because we couldn't reach him. He is perfect and we could never know God on our own. So he came down to us and that's the third miracle 
of Christmas. Miracle number four, God came for our benefit. And here's the question, why did Jesus really come? We've kind of answered the question already, but let's, let's explore it a little more. Look at Luke chapter two, verse 10. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I'm bringing you good news, good tidings of great joy, which will be not just to you, to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. The one you've been looking for? When heaven was silent for 400 years, all of a sudden the miracles began to happen around this story. One of the greatest miracles is the fact that heaven did come down. Heaven invaded earth through Jesus. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter one, if you will. We're gonna look at some passages there. But as you turn, listen to this. Jesus came to be a savior to us. The gospel writer, Matthew, gives us this account. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And because of his name Jesus, which means Savior, he will save his people from their sins. From their sins. That's why he came. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 1. God at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by whom? His son. Whom Jesus, that's Jesus, he, God, has appointed heir of all things. Through whom? Who? Jesus. Also he, that being God, made the world's. Who Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image, that means the exact image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, that being Jesus, had made himself, Jesus, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the, of, of the most high. You know what it basically says? His, his, what he was sent here to do, he finished the job. He provided a way of salvation having become so much better than the angels as he, that being Jesus, has by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, than the prophets, than the angels, than any other person who's even heard from heaven. He's the epitome of heaven coming down. He is the thrill of hope. In 1 John chapter four, it says, in this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. The word perpetuation is a fancy word that literally means Jesus took on the penalty of our sin. Our sin, think about it, placed on him. The baby is going to grow up a sinless life. He's going to grow up to, to relate to us. In any way that we have grown, he will grow. He will grow into a man. He will live on this earth. He will get the gospel message in, in, out there and it will spread. And we know it spread even to us 2,000 years later. But the greatest thing he'll do is hang on a cross on our behalf in which God himself will place our sins on him. He will satisfy by the sins being placed on him. Listen to this. This is the most important thing you'll hear. God's wrath will be satisfied against our sin 
on Jesus. It's much more than a baby showing up in Bethlehem. It's the baby who grows up to be a man who becomes the savior of the world. Our greatest need as man, as a person, is forgiveness. God sent us a savior. Why? So we could get forgiveness. The same baby born to Mary, that Jesus, one day will stretch out his hands on a cross as he will be nailed to it. He paid the penalty for all our sin. Listen, this is God's Christmas gift to you. This is the thrill of hope of Christmas. However, there's only one problem with a Savior. You got to know you need one. You got to know you need one. And that's what separates men from other men. I mean, is the fact, do we know him or do we not know him? Have we responded to his grace and his love or have we not? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the last place I'll have you turn. The point is this. Jesus can't save you until you stop trying to save yourself. There's so many of you who are sitting here and, 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 and for you, you've given these attempts over and over. The Bible says, um, excuse me, statistics say that 90% of us will attempt. Listen to this. We will attempt to gain God's favor by doing better. But the Bible says doing better, listen, is like filthy rags. Doesn't add up to anything. Doesn't add up to anything. This is a gift. You will never earn. You will never deserve. God demands perfection and perfection only comes through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for all have sinned, come short of glory, God. We all miss the mark. God said, here's the mark. Every one of our lives, if it were an arrow, it wouldn't even hit the mark itself. The Bible literally says it would fall short. It wouldn't even get to the target. But the baby born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, his life hit the target perfectly. Perfectly. Bullseye. All on our behalf. It was only then that he became the perfect sacrifice for us. It, it, listen, if we say that we can earn our way to heaven, if we say that if we'll just get our act together in 2020 and, and we'll do better, then maybe God's favor will fall upon us. It has nothing to do with you. Matter of fact, you're making a mockery out of what Jesus did if you think that's the case. He came to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 1. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Before you came to know him, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You, someone who's dead can't do anything for themselves. Right. Nothing. And, and it says that was your condition. That's where you were. He says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Everyone else was going that way. Everyone's gone that way. According to the prince of the power of the air. That means he was in on it to create the deceptions that surround salvation. And then it says, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That was our condition before Christ raised us to a level with his love and his forgiveness by taking all that upon himself. He, listen, his flesh nature, he never crossed the line. His desires never caused him to sin, according to what we read in the scripture. He hit the, the bullseye perfectly. 
perfectly. But we've missed it. And we should have been children of wrath. But God, don't you like that? Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, couldn't do a thing about our condition, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit. It doesn't say that we, we took a higher seat. There's no way we could do it. He lifted us up. That's literally what it means. Together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when you ask the question, why did Jesus come? He came to get us. Heaven, listen, invaded earth. And the reason he did is he wanted to take us with us. And he came in such a way to relate and take care of our greatest need. It goes on. It says that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what that literally means? It means that the moment we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, this whole idea of grace, this whole idea of mercy, this whole idea of forgiveness and the love that God has for us will unfold in front of us. And we will have the potential to know him in greater ways than even we know today. And that will continue on into eternity. Think about that. People say, what's so great about heaven? Well, I get to see mom again. I get to see dad again. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the greatest thing. We will continue to see his grace and his love and his mercy unfold right there in front of us throughout eternity. And that can begin in this life too. That's what he's talking about here. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. Not a thing you could do about it. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. No one's going to be in heaven saying, God, aren't you glad you chose me? Boy, I tell you, I did a great job. I really impressed you, didn't I? That's why I'm here, right? No. Won't be anything like that. For we are his workmanship. Did you know that God wants to create a masterpiece out of your life? You say, how can he make a masterpiece out of my messed up life? How can he do it? You've already said that we are sinners. We're, we're, we're tossed to and fro. We're, we're, the, the enemy has his way with us. So we're so deceived at times. And how is it he can make a masterpiece out of our lives? It says he's capable if we'll continue to surrender to obedience and to respond. Listen to the grace and the forgiveness that he brings our way. It says we can become a masterpiece, even in this fallen condition, even in this fallen world. Wow. Does that not blow your mind? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what that means? That once we come to know the Savior, once we respond to a Savior and admit our need that we need a Savior, that we have sinned, we have totally missed the mark. We didn't even hit the target. It fell short. It didn't even get close. That once we acknowledge him and he begins to do a work in us, listen, that there is a plan that will unfold in our lives. A plan and a purpose that will continue throughout eternity. So here's the application this morning. The miracle of Christmas is that God came as the child Jesus, who was the God man, who would become the thrill of hope for all those who seek him and receive him. 
That's what he's offering at Christmas. That is what it's all about. I want to close with what is my favorite Christmas song. Some of you may have never heard it, but it's the most powerful song I think I've ever heard written about Christmas. It's called Bethlehem Morning. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm going to read it to you. Lift up your heads, no need to mourn. His hand is stretched out still, for unto us a child is born. His promise to fulfill, Jerusalem he cried for. He did not come to us in vain. His loving arms are open wide for you, and he will come. He will come again. Bethlehem morning is more than just a memory. For the child that was born there has come to set us free. Bethlehem sunrise, I can see in in your eyes. For the child that was born there, his spirit never dies. His star will never, will never grow dim. And it's a brand new dawn, a new Jerusalem. And and, And we will reign, we will reign with him. Bethlehem sunrise, I can see it in your eyes. For the child that was born there, listen, is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he will come again. He's going to come again. So the one who came 2,000 years ago, the Bible says, he's coming back. He won't come as a, as a babe who, who's just there, to, the, the helplessness of a babe. He's coming back as the God man. He's coming back as God, really. And boy, that's powerful when you think of it. Amen. Let's give him a... So here's the invitation this morning. We've got to give an invitation. I have presented the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as clear as I know how at Christmas. And here it is. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never taken him up on his, the grace he wants to extend to your life or the forgiveness he wants to give you, we invite you to come this morning that you can enter into a relationship. And, and I guarantee you, if you do this, Christmas will take on a whole new meaning for you. Because it's really what it's all about. He came to invade earth. Think about it. Heaven invaded earth. So I want to ask you right now, if you will, just stand to your feet, please.